This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Jessica Lachey. The Arlington native sought various means to help her with a chronic illness, and only when she undertook energy healing did she finally find relief. After months of preparation, Jessica took the leap and quit her day job to start her YouTube channel, Reiki Healing Hope. Today, Jessica tends to a flock of over 200,000 subscribers, providing relief with each relaxing video released. Whenever I got sick as a child, my grandmother always seemed to know what to do to make me feel better. It didn't matter that my mom was a fully licensed nurse. Science was no match for Grandma Mary. Maybe she knew that telling me ginger ale would ease my upset stomach would produce a placebo effect that, in turn, eased my upset stomach. Though, looking back, I don't know why she thought putting Vicks VapoRub in my mouth would cure my cold. Anyway, everyone has a family member that uses traditional forms of medicine to ward off sickness and swears Western medicine is actually poisoning us and we should go back to our roots. Conspiracy theories and grains of truth aside, sometimes true relief for our problems can't be found with a pill. I used to take Advil for my perpetual back pain until one day a friend sent me a stretching routine he found on YouTube. It was a 12-minute routine that combined yoga and medical knowledge, and at the end of it I was sweating, but my back felt great. Do I do the routine as much as I should? No. But the beauty of it is I can access the video anytime I need thanks to technology. It's at this intersection of technology and holistic health that we find Jessica Lachey, a public policy worker turned energy healer and entrepreneur. We begin our interview the way they always begin, with her early life growing up in the DMV. I'm from the DMV. I'm from Arlington, Virginia. And my uh, family is actually from the DMV, which is kind of a little bit weird because I don't really see that that often. Like my dad was from Oxon Hill and my grandma grew up in um, Northeast DC. So it's just very fascinating to see that because it's a very transient area. Um, so growing up in Arlington was real, like the best way to describe it would be like, it was very safe. And I think growing up without money, you know, being working class on government assistance, things like that. I mean, it was probably one of the best places I could have grown up without resources because I always had that element of safety to be able to focus on what was important to me at that time, which were my studies. And, you know, I applied to as many colleges as I had a, um, a application waiver to, you know, I only visited the colleges that um, my school took me on. I didn't even know like the parameters to think of a college. I was like, I didn't know. I was in there thinking like what food tastes the best. You know, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know what was actually important when it came to those things. Um, but yeah, I felt like I had a lot of autonomy growing up and I was like a very big thinker at that time. Surprisingly, even though I went to college, even though I went to grad school, I I really didn't feel that connected to um, school until I got into college. Because prior to that, I skipped a lot of school, um, but I was, mm. I, <laughs> I was one of those, those, very strange situation. So I would skip school, but it was because I didn't learn like that. So I would take all of my um, homework and I would do it at home and I would take all the lessons and do it at home because at that time I just felt like, okay, so we have to read this chapter of this book. 
and you're essentially just reading this to me. I can do this on my own and just expedite this time. Like, I don't really need to do that. So then I can go home, watch. I don't know what I would watch. Reading Rainbow. I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing. <laughs> I, would go, I would go to the library. I would read like the the metaphysical section or like the how to section because I love to learn new things. I have a lot of hobbies. That's kind of like my upbringing. <laughs> Interesting. Um, as somebody from Arlington, and as you said, your family is like certified from the DMV. Mm -hmm. uh, I always have this argument with people. Um, is Baltimore part of the DMV? Oh, Jesus. I knew you was going to ask me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Tell it, me. De it depends on how you feel. Are you from Baltimore? Yes. Okay. So you, it um, doesn't, it, you, you will not offend me, whatever you say. It's okay. This is how I feel. I feel like it goes in and out. You could say no, because I feel like Baltimore has its own identity mm -hmm. versus the DMV. It kind of has its own identity within itself. And it's, it's separate, even mm -hmm. just the way people talk separate, the, the style, the things that, you know, and the experience too, like, Walking around in Northern Virginia versus kind of um, that part of Maryland versus D.C. is a different experience than walking around in Baltimore. It's just a different experience. It kind of feels like a whole different world. Baltimore is actually really, really artsy, really creative, mm -hmm. um, a lot of culture. And it's it's that space on the East Coast that's close to the DMV or perhaps a part of the DMV that you can still kind of be an artist and thrive. You can be, you can do a lot of things where financially you can't really do that in a DC, you know, mm -hmm. you can't really do that in Northern Virginia. So I think it has its, its own culture. So I did a very PC way of saying, <laughs> <laughs> Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I appreciate your, um, <clears throat> excuse me, your honesty. So uh, we talked about uh, you growing up in Arlington, Virginia, and what school was like for you. Mm -hmm. um, and in your profile, and as you were answering, you mentioned that you uh, went to school. I know in doing my research, you went to school for um, religious studies and psychology, and then you got your master's in public policy. So can you tell me, um, you know, first where you went to school and, and what that experience was like? And how, how do all of those subjects intersect? Because I feel like they are like all kind of loosely connected, definitely religious studies and psychology um but then how, how does the, how did the public policy part figure into it like how, how are you drawn to those subjects you know i think it's a it's multiple things so i think when we have this experience this journey of life we're doing a lot of things that eventually lead to kind of one road um so i went to school at george mason university it's in northern virginia it's in fairfax virginia i actually ended up working there for a long time too um because i worked in higher education before and um, I originally went there with the expectation of, okay, I want to be a therapist. I want to go into the psych degree. I went into the psych degree and I was just like, mm, you know, because I think as a person of color, as a, as a, you know, as a black woman, as a mixed heritage woman, because I'm Korean as well, you know, psychology is in an academic sense in those classes, it can be kind of problematic if you don't have the right teachers because we start talking about you know systemic things then we talk start talking about intersectionality before i think it now we want to talk about inclusion and diversity and understanding and microaggressions at that time it, it wasn't you know as long as it wasn't overtly racist people didn't see it as a problem so sitting in a psych class and feeling like they're talking about people of color mm -hmm. in a weird way and then looking at you of like 
so how do you feel? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Or <laughs> seeing your own life play out in these scenarios. And you're like, dang, I think mine is messed up. <laughs> like, you know? Um, so doing that, I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'll go through with it. But then I stumbled upon a religious studies class because it was just one of those general education requirements. Fell in love. It was the first time I got to explore religion without the expectation that I needed to join the religion. Mm. And it was from such a refreshing perspective because a lot of times when we look at religion, it's coming from the perspective of whatever sect of that religion it is. So history is kind of not 100% accurate, but it is just how that group expresses their understanding of the divine for that situation. But religious studies was nice because it gave the anthropology, the sociology, it was talking about like, okay, so this is how the people were in this place before. And this is when this religion came up. And so this is some of the influence you'll see in this religion. And then you'll see how this impacted the people and da, 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 da. So it was just really, really nice. And I started to kind of hone in on um, my concentration, which happened to be mysticism. So within every religious tradition, there's a spiritual path. And so the difference is that a religion is just, it's, so the religion is trying to explain the divine or the unknown. So mm -hmm. humanity trying to do that. And then once they get an idea of what they think it is, a certain group of people, they'll come up with rules and they'll say, and the rules are, are steeply based in that social structure in general. So they'll say, this is what you can and what you can't do. The spiritual path is saying, this is the essence. I understand that not all of these rules will apply to me, but this is the es essence that I'm getting from the origins of whatever this faith is. So I started to kind of deep dive into that and started to feel like, you know what? Whatever a person's path is, is best for them. I always felt that way. I never really felt like there was a religion that that fit me, but I always felt deeply connected to people who felt, you know, uh, whatever that presence is or whatever that is, you know, they're unknown. And I just felt like we could coexist. So I enjoyed that. That was more like fun. And then I started wanting to get into more inclusivity work or more systemic conversations of like, what what can we like look at some systemic change? And you know, for, for people of color, for Black people in the US, we didn't have a lot of social capital. We were kind of told that if you went to college, this would, this would give you the equity, the social equity that you need. And then you end up getting out of college with all this debt and you, it, it, now they changed the benchmark. You know, now it's like, you need all this stuff to, to, to get minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I got my master's in public policy because I wanted to go into the government. Then Trump got elected and I was like, no, nah, I'm a pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it smart the second round. Okay. The first round I had to pay for my school, but the second round, because I was a full-time employee at the university, this is a life hack to anyone, you know, always check with your job to see if they will pay for things. Because I was a full-time employee, they paid for my master's. And I was like, cool, you nice. know, like, that's completely fine with me. So after that, um, I started to get more into a yoga practice I had at the time. I was building up a yoga business. I did my teacher training. I was enjoying it. And it was also a, a space for people of color. And I didn't even know that that's what it was coming off as. I was just doing things that I like. So I used to do a... Um, an R&B yoga and mimosas class. And I did it in a kind of way. So it was once a month and it was a space for people to come and socialize. And I was pretty much attracting, you know, uh, black and brown people mm -hmm. <laughs> into the space. And, you know, it was just 
very different than I think the experience that they at that time were used to in in that space. And I was very welcoming to beginning bodies. And, you know, being a black woman, our bodies are built different, you know. Mm -hmm. And so within the Western experience of yoga, meaning like the kind of Americanized version of yoga, it's, it's really kind of very slender people, very slender white women, you know, kind of in these spaces when it's just like, you know, all they're welcome in the space and to be mindful and to enjoy themselves. So I started to do that. Um, and then when the pandemic happened, I actually switched to Reiki full time. With your um, mixed race heritage of black and Korean, when you were doing religious studies and even as a child, as you said, Dick, you um, would like read like metaphysical books about metaphysics in the library and stuff like that. As you got older and you further like explored those uh, uh, concepts and ideas, uh, did you notice any like similarities um, in, you know, Ooh. the way, uh, let's say like the black community versus the Korean community would like worship or um, uh, like act on their faith? Mm, that's actually a good question. I don't know if I can answer all of that because my mom came to the U.S. Um, by herself when she was younger. So okay. it was a very big separation of her culture. So mm. it was a losing of the culture. And I think us as Black people, we know how it feels to have generations of losing culture. So if anything, it kind of really propelled me to find a lot of strength and find a lot of um, uh, connection and history to my Black culture. Because my my adoptive grandmother and my paternal grandmother, black women, you know, so it's, that's the experience that I had. But what I can say from leading Reiki Healing Hope and, and going through religious studies, I would say that when we get down to our indigenous traditions, so we're talking about the first peoples of the world. So you go to, you pick a culture and you say, okay, how far back in time can we take it to these first people who started to create civilization there? And I noticed that some of those first people, and I'm going to use the term shaman, even though it doesn't apply to what these people might call themselves in um, Korea or might call themselves, you know, um, in another part of the world. But these first people, these these um, energy healing shamans, they did things in a similar way. They may have had a different process. They may have had a different uh, ritual, culture, things like that. But everything is energy. And what I notice is that whenever we see a new religion or we see a new you know, approach to something, it is just the same energy kind of being reinterpreted in modern times. Once you get to the foundations of working with energy, working with your own energy, it, it is spiritual, but it doesn't have to be religious. It's just how do I understand my energy enough? to create the life that I want. As you were talking before, you mentioned uh, starting uh, Reiki healing and also opening or working on your uh, yoga practice. Uh, but during my research of you looking through your reading your profile, it said uh, yoga was a way to help you with your chronic illnesses. Um, and if you don't mind, uh, if you feel comfortable sharing, what, what chronic illnesses did you have that led you to uh, yoga and um energy healing so it's actually really fascinating because reiki i would actually look at it, the perspective that reiki kind of illuminated the chronic illnesses that i had so for about 17 years i had really really bad migraines and i know that some people 
kind of confuse a, a, a very bad headache with a migraine, but it's different symptoms. Like, for example, I would see, um, like when you have a migraine, I would see aura, I would lose peripheral sight, I would lose some aspects of speech, I would have a numbness. And of course, you have like the pain and things like that. And mm -hmm. so it was something that just kept on like showing up in my life. And I would go to conventional doctors, I would go to alternative medicine doctors, I, you know, was at that point where I was like, I need to understand the spiritual reason for me to have this because I wasn't necessarily looking for, will this solve my problem? I just felt like it was a theme or a cycle of energy that I was in in my life. And it was showing up in a psychosomatic way as whatever this illness is, because I think it's a really easy concept to understand that if you go to work every day and you're super stressed out and then you have a stroke. I think we can connect how that sh that stress created a stroke, you know, right, right. Um, if you have a, something that might be a little bit more kind of deeper is say you spent your whole life and when you were kind of coming up in age, you might have had family that said be seen and not heard. So there's a lot of things you wanted to say, but you push yourself down. Wanting to say something is 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 an energetic pattern and then suppressing that energy then later on in life might lead to thyroid issues, perhaps, you know, because you're forcing an energy down. So it's it's messing up our, our regulatory systems. So at that time, I was like, what is what what is the reason for this? What is the purpose for this? Um, and learning Reiki, it actually opened up the doors to learn my body in a new way. And I really started to look at nutrition in a new way. The answers were always around me. I just couldn't see. And I think that sometimes people look at something like Reiki or look at something like um, something that's esoteric and say, ah, I'm looking for a solution to a problem when really it's more like steps to mm -hmm. where you need to go. And you have to be open to, you know, deal with yourself and whatever that full picture is, because whatever cycle I was in, it was extended to other areas of my life too. So what ended up happening was I started to connect with, I just started to do a lot of deep research and I learned about a functional medicine doctors. And those are regular doctors that have a specialty in functional medicine. So they kind of care a lot about the microbiome and the gut, but their approaches, they're just regular doctors, but they treat like an alternative medicine doctor. So they treat the origin rather than the symptoms. Okay. And so once I figured that out and I got all these tests that I wouldn't typically get at a normal doctor, I started to notice that I had chronic micronutrient deficiencies. For me, it was chronic low magnesium. And then when I started to look deeper into that, I was like, wow, a lot of these micronutrients, like for example, a long-term low vitamin D can lead to things like anxiety, can lead to things like depression. And the way it's coming up, a person might just think, oh, it is just maybe the traumatic things that have happened to me in my life, but it also could be these things too. And so I think having the community at Reiki Healing Hope and hear, hearing people struggle and trying to get through, you know, wholeness and mental health and things like that, I, it, it really helped. My entire experience helped for me to be able to say, hey, are you also looking at this too? So it kind of was, it was the best thing to happen to me because the, the funny thing about the migraines is they they kept me in check because if I didn't have the migraines, I'd be wilding out. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I know. I got to be honest with myself. Be wilding out and acting a fool. But it kept me in check until I could keep myself in check. Mm, that's fair. Your, your body will tell you to slow down even if uh, you don't you don't recognize it. Um, 
you've mentioned Reiki Healing Hope a few times, so let's jump into that now. That is your YouTube channel. What is Reiki and ASMR? Because it is also an ASMR channel. Mm -hmm. What is Reiki and ASMR for people who don't know? And what inspires you to start your channel? ASMR is kind of this big umbrella term. It's called, it's, it stands for autonomous sensory meridian response. So basically it's hearing something. So if you hear someone have a very meditative voice that creates a sense of relaxation, or you might see someone do something with their hands and that might kind of create a sense of relaxation. So that's all that means for um, what's going on within your brain when that happens. So essentially I'm whispering. So it's kind of like people going, going to sleep. Um, and it pairs really well with Reiki. So Reiki is a, a type of alternative um, alternative medicine that is underneath the energy healing branch. So if we think of conventional medicine, we think of like, you know, you just go to the doctor, this, this, and that. And then when you think of alternative medicine, you start thinking of things like, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, which is acupressure, acupuncture, things like that. And of course, when we look at traditional Chinese medicine, this concept of chi or ki, which is a part of the reiki, even though reiki is Japanese, it is a very recent modality of energy healing. It's about 100 years old. But that ki or that chi concept goes all the way back to traditional Chinese medicine. And so having that understanding of chi, which is life force energy, which if we can go to, you know, as Black people, if we look at Black people specifically of um the African diaspora, uh, having that connection to perhaps something like Ifa, the concept of the Ashe, which is life force energy as well. So the, the key part represents the life force energy. And so Reiki is basically a style of energy healing, very similar to if you ever, you know, if you're a Christian, you ever see somebody kind of lay hands. Mm, yep. It is essentially that. So that's when, when I say like there are commonalities that you can see everywhere. It is just a different experience for, you know, a, a different group um, at that time that was relatively recent. The cool thing about Reiki, it's really synonymous with energy healing, even though it's just a modality. And it's very it doesn't have the same cultural appropriation issues that we see in something like indigenous people of the uh, Americas wanting people wanting to learn that. And it's like, no, it's a close practice or, you know, some other tradition, um, it being more of a close practice. The reason why is because it's so new. It's very young. It's only a hundred years old that some of the founders intentionally wanted to spread it to the West. And they kind of fabricated about <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, looking at that time, because we got to think about how the world was of like, you know, white supremacy and European dominance and things like that. So in order to get it to spread, they wanted it to be accepted in, you know, Americas and Europe. So they wanted to put more uh, uh, American or European standards onto it, too. Um, and so that's why it's always funny when people look at me as a Reiki teacher, because I'm not a, you know, sip the Kool-Aid person. I'm like, we have history <laughs> for a reason. So let's call it what it is. But all it is, is basically talking about utilizing the energy around you. So it's very, it's a very simple modality. Um, it's basically utilizing Reiki symbols, understanding how to use your energy and in, in initiating a healing response within that person, whether it is distance. So that's one way or whether it's in a person, which is a, a different kind of experience. 
Um, but you can also, there's a lot of other modalities out there from different traditions as well too, but Reiki is just probably the most popular. And if anybody comes to you and says, Reiki is thousands of years old, the modality Reiki, not the, the concept of energy, but the modality of Reiki is thousands of years old. That's not true. And it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. This, this question also popped into my head. Um, Throughout your your time and experience learning about uh, with religious studies and um, I guess you're, you said that you were focused on mysticism uh, in religions. Um, I've always been fascinated by this concept of sacred geometry. Would you say that's more of like an umbrella concept for all other types of mysticism or would you say it's something completely different? I think sacred geometry is something that is more of a tool. Because I think we can look at various traditions and lineage and see aspects of sacred geometry. Like if we look at Reiki, Reiki uses Reiki symbols. Reiki symbols, they're only the only thing they are, are sigils. What are sigils? Sigils are shapes and they get their power by the intention you put into them and also having a lot of people use them as well. And then that, where does that come from? Concepts of sacred geometry. Actually, in my mm. apprenticeship, I do have a section on sacred geometry geometry which is very interesting so i think it just depends number one on the lineage you want it to come from mm -hmm. if you want to this for just you know person out there if they want to connect with it more find the lineage that you want it to come from and learn the information there in that kind of way oh i see interesting and i would also say for a lot of these esoteric concepts things are not as scary or like Ooh, as people want it to, to seem people want to say like this is how they get you especially hotep like this is how they get you they'll say <laughs> they'll say something like i got this knowledge that you need to know and only you only you're gonna you know and that's not what it is esoteric yeah. which is kind of only a few people know it means that only a few people really want to put in the work to learn how to harness the energy but like you don't really have to do that. You know, you don't have to learn how to do energy healing on someone else. You don't have to learn how to teach other people to do that. It's not a requirement. A lot of the things that you do in any practice you have, you can figure out by yourself without having to connect to any of these things. Because this is just something I personally believe, you know, no, like this is not a, a Reiki thing, but I personally feel like we're just all one collective consciousness, you know, connected to each other. That's kind of my concept of why I feel like Reiki works in distance session, because we're just tapping into something we're already connected with. You know, sometimes people say that they'll have dreams and it'll be like this time period or something like that, but they'll have a vivid dream and it's not them. It's, you know, it's somebody else. And I'm like, you know, sometimes I think like, well, maybe you're just tapping into another person's dream. Like I think about that we are kind of one organism that's moving together because when i look at like you know the earth we are the cells of the earth you know we'll be right back after a quick break and when we return i continue my conversation with reiki and asmr practitioner jessica lachey i'm jason v this is local color stay with us Hey, I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. And before the break, my guest Jessica Lachey spoke about the concept of esoteric knowledge and her theory that humanity is one collective consciousness. 
As we continue our conversation, we dig into the manufactured fear of the occult, and Jessica gives a roadmap for success in today's digital age. Why do you feel like in the in the more recent years, black people and people of color have become more comfortable with exploring the esoteric side of life? Because I, I was always interested you know, in high school and even in college, like reading up on like esoteric type stuff or even the occult. But I know that black people are like, mm -mm, that's that that's that devil stuff. Uh, but now we seem to be more comfortable with exploring it. I mean, even in, you know, our like music. Um, so what do you think has led that shift to make it a little bit more acceptable for us to to be in these kind of uh, these fields? I think for the, I think now people have finally questioned um, whiteness and white supremacy. And I know for a long time saying something like, if we look at the people in the like 70s and the 80s, black power movement and stuff like that, you know, you would feel connected to them. And then as soon as somebody said white supremacy or something like that, it's like, oh my gosh, why, what, you know, people disconnected at that time because they were talking about a social order of things that benefited a lot of people, but that's where people's mindset and mentality was. And the reason why I'm saying that is when we look at the origins of why are people of color so afraid of their indigenous heritage, it's because when people came and colonized or enslaved people, they came into contact with their culture. Their culture was different than the culture they knew. And because of that, they started to demonize the culture. We can mm -hmm. see this with the indigenous people here um, within the Americas to the fact that like the the amount of legal this laws that the Americas had at the beginning telling indigenous people here that they could not practice because they would be jailed they would be killed like there were instances in which they would take their kids and send them off to these boarding schools in the Americas um, in U the U.S. and Canada to kind of to re re uh like force them to them. assimilate yes force them to assimilate and so deep within that stripping of culture that is where that comes from it's not the because think about it you know christianity is the same tool that was used to enslave people but at the same time it was also used on the back end for people to find freedom because that's when people learned how to read mm -hmm. that's the only places they were allowed to to organize so they were using it against you know, the system within itself. So instead of looking at it from the perspective of, ooh, that's bad, understand that it's like, you can still be Christian, you can still have a connection to that, but also understand that we have to right the, the disconnect that has happened in the past. And that means we have to honor what we came from. If we cannot honor, you don't, you don't have to go out and be a full, you know, practitioner of something. But if we can't honor that, we're always going to feel not enough. We're always going to maintain a society that doesn't work. Sorry, I can. I feel like I'm getting long winded with it. No, no, it's okay. I appreciate the uh, the conversation because it's not that often that I'll get to talk to somebody else about it. But really quick, just to summarize, um, what inspires you to start your uh your your channel, your YouTube channel? I just wanted to get some practice. I really enjoyed ASMR. I had seen some people do ASMR Reiki, but I just wanted to get some practice. And I felt like I was able to create or to share a perspective I didn't see. I didn't see a lot of, you know, Black women do ASMR. There are Black women in ASMR, don't get me wrong, and people of color. But I definitely didn't see any 
uh, women of color in general doing Reiki ASMR. And I thought that was kind of strange to me. Um, and I felt like I provided a, a perspective that a lot of people were missing. You know, people, they didn't know how to have um, intersectional conversations. They didn't mm -hmm. know how to have systemic conversations. Th there's two things going on. We have the systemic, which is when I walk outside, this is how I'm being socialized. But then we also have our individual journey, which is whatever I believe that I can do, I can make it happen. And you have to learn how to weave through those things. And I felt like people were almost saying like, this systemic doesn't exist because you can do whatever you want to. No, I mean, discrimination still exists, but you <laughs> got to understand what you want to how you want to to interact with what's going on and also let's name what's happening so we can validate people's real experience and that really came up with everything that had to do with police reform and having those conversations because i had a woman say to me why can't you just be here i don't want to talk about this stuff you know oh, why can't Jesus. you why can't you just you know just do it like this insert this white this other white person right mm -hmm. and i was just like i don't know who you think you are and i, I completely understand that you think i look young um, but the thing is I'm grown and also I'm, you know, a, a woman of color, I'm a black woman. How dare you, when we're having this conversation about inclusivity and we're talking about microaggressions, you think you're going to come here and just let me like, you know, sit there and like take it. I don't know who you think this is, but it ain't going to happen here. And I think because of that, I have such a diverse community that really was looking for someone like that. Like even the people yeah who join my cohort, who aren't people of color, they are really wanting to do the work. They are really wanting to understand. They are really, so it, it I think it was something that was missing in that space. Yeah. It sounded like you really filled a need. And I, I'm always shocked at how surprised people are when it, when you talk about like representation in certain industries and stuff like that. So for me, like podcasting or even public radio, I mean, you know, it's overwhelmingly white, but um, yeah, white men, <laughs> uh, but it, 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 it's just so interesting when you are a, a person of color in those spaces or at those public radio events and stuff like that, uh, because the majority of people, shall we say, are so used to being the majority and being the standard that they think that, well, my life experience is universal. So like it should work for everybody. It's like, mm, that's not how that works. Um, so it sounds like, again, you were filling a need in that, in that YouTube creator space. And, and, and I'm also clear on the fact that if I was a white woman in ASMR Reiki with the same drive that I have, I would be much bigger because we have two things going on. We have you know, the racial bias that we see in um, the algorithm that I'm hoping is changing of like who, who, what are the thumbnails that are actually popping up? And then we also have the internal bias that if I'm someone and I see who am I going to choose? And one thing I know about people is that once they hear me speak, once they, they like me, mm -hmm. but am I their first choice that they're going to click on? Maybe not. But once I get you, I got you. I got you. Mm. <laughs> and uh, now that you mentioned that, that uh, feeds into my next question. And this kind of informs, uh, 
I guess the answer for me. Um, you've been making videos since uh, uh since about 2018, I think, when I looked at your channel, and obviously it's 2022 now, so you've been doing it for about four years. Uh, but for like the first two years or so, you never showed your face. But then in 2020, you did like a specific live stream, like face reveal live stream. Um, <laughs> was that something requested by your your community, or did you just get to a point where you felt comfortable showing your face, or was it like hey i'm just gonna show my face like this is who i am algorithm be damned if people <laughs> want me they're gonna come find me oh yeah good point um i felt like it, there's there's this feeling of anonymity in the internet and i think the conversation is not to not be related to this but when you hear people talk about web3 and you hear this next iteration of the internet and, and being completely anonymous and stuff like that there is a feeling that i wanted to protect myself and remain anonymous, but at the same time, share what I was talking about. And then I started to realize that over time, it people connect with you on multiple levels. They connect with what you say, but they also connect with the expressions that you make. They, they connect on multiple levels and I'm a very passionate speaker. So I got to the point where I was just like, you know, like, can I curse? Yeah, go ahead. I was like, fuck it. You know, like it just, it is, it is what it is, you know, like, and so then I started to show myself more. And I feel like as a woman that we kind of have like higher expectations now, like I got to get all made up and da, 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 da. I didn't always feel like doing that because in the beginning I was just like, I'm just trying to build a routine. Mm. I'm trying to not have any reason why I don't show up. And I always keep my nails done. So I'm like, good. My hands look great. You know, <laughs> when I walk into the space, but then after a while it was like, I don't mind. I want people to see me. I need visibility. They need to understand that, you know, women of color and black women are in this space too. Right. You know? So then it was like, okay, well, let me just go erase myself from the internet and then, you know, be able to share, you know, more about myself. And I think that that helped a lot of people. When you were talking about your YouTube channel uh, and like the algorithm and like thumbnail, like the algorithm <laughs> picking thumbnails mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of boost uh their visibility um i want to talk a little bit more about the the nuts and bolts of your youtube channel can yeah. you talk about or recall when your channel really started taking off because in the beginning uh you you were getting like a few thousand views which is definitely impressive but it seems like now you're getting like hundreds of thousands almost like half a million views um do you remember that point when you were like oh i can do this like full time i can just quit my job and do this and when you made that change, how did you how did you have to change how you managed your YouTube channel to to lend itself to full time work? OK, let me give you all the game. OK, <laughs> this is actually I have a podcast. It's called Organize Your Purpose. And this is that was kind of the space where I was talking about all of this stuff. And it really didn't fit in the Reiki aspect of talking about like analytics and stuff. I'm going to give you all the game. This is what it's about. My channel didn't take off until I got onto TikTok. Why? Because when we look at social media, we know historically that when you are at, you are one of the first users on a platform that's going to be, you know, big, you usually have that first advantage of being there. So what I did is as soon as TikTok became a thing, I want to say maybe this was like in 2000. Okay. I went and I started to, you know, just see what kind of Reiki content would work. And once I found that something worked, I just kept going and going and going. I then took that traffic and I sent it to my YouTube channel, which I had already had for about two years. And I was already consistently posting things that first year that I had my YouTube channel before TikTok. 
I had 600, I maybe had got 600 subscribers. But when I say the quality, it, it, quality over quantity any day, because the quality of those people, they were connecting, they were interacting. I was thinking to myself, like, this is, is this enough? But I remember it was like those first days when I would have like a, you know, put a donation out. And I'll never forget this guy, uh, David. David held me down for a long time. He was the first, <laughs> he was the first one who to like donate like a hundred dollars, and that threw me off because maybe I had like three hundred subscribers. I'm like, this person donated a hundred dollars, and he was like, yeah, I just because I was trying to buy you know crystals and different things, and just basically explaining the esoteric aspect of them. And I was like, wow, you know, when you create a community for people and they see value, it means something. And if I didn't have that. I wouldn't have created the foundation for the norm of my community today. Everyone's pretty much happy and supportive, but because those early people set the foundation and how the energy was supposed to be in the community, mm -hmm. when new people came in, if they didn't want to, you know, if they wanted to say something mean or get rowdy, they just couldn't get what they needed from there. But if they wanted to work on themselves and be supportive of each other, those first early people laid the foundation. And then I myself, I got to consistently learn how do you post? You know, how do you do things when when um, you don't have the money to do it? You know, because I was I feel like I was working full time at that time, too. Um, and I was kind of really not having any kind of loose money or extra money at that time. Mm -hmm. And so once I got on TikTok, I realized I was driving traffic to myself. I was like, OK, so that's what I look at. TikTok, TikTok is not necessarily good for monetization unless you're selling a product or a direct service in your you know link or whatever that is it's like instagram you know how did the instagram people do it they had to be selling something a service or a product youtube is different youtube has built-in monetization you take 40 they take 60 percent and even when we look at something like twitch there was that big surge of people wanting to leave twitch gamers wanting to leave twitch and come over to youtube because they didn't like how the monetization was and the licensing of you know, what they were trying to do was post things on Twitch and then put it on YouTube. But then Twitch was saying like, no, you're not allowed to put that on YouTube too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so YouTube was nice because it it helped me to build monetization, but it took me, it took me at least two years. And I'm talking about that first year, I was, the way I post now, like five videos a week, I was posting five videos a week. So it was a grind and it was a hustle. But I also, I think what what helped a lot was I got a lot of positive feedback. Mm -hmm. People saying like, this was helpful. And I was like, there's many times where I didn't feel like doing it there. Like, you know, I've done over like 700 videos and I'm just like, there's been times even to this day where I'm like, I don't feel like doing this, but I show up because I know that the only way to win at social media is to be consistent. Yeah. The only way to win is to be consistent. So if I could give anybody a takeaway today, I would say it like this. If you want to grow a social following. Mm hmm look for monetization and look for visibility where is it easy to be visible it's hard to be visible on youtube mm -hmm. if you're not driving traffic it's hard to be visible on instagram but you know tiktok still has that visibility that you know a random person can go viral off of something but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a large following so figure out whatever content that connects with you know your audience go over to something like TikTok, or if there's a new platform that you know of that you feel like this is going to be something, go on over there, start being very consistent and driving them to where you need them to go and do that grind for two, three years. And then that's what happened. So what happened to me was I was working at my job full time. 
Mm-hmm. And I, di- I didn't want to leave. Um, but of course, I was kind of I took a like a like a, a lateral demotion in order to start my business, because before I even knew it was Reiki, I knew I was going to be doing something where I wasn't going to be working for someone else. And so I finally started making money. And then that's when I started to feel like being pushed out from the job because I, you know, I was working remote prior to the pandemic. So mm-hmm. that that was kind of just what I was used to. And I have forgot, forgotten about office politics. You know, you got to brown nose <laughs> to certain people. You got to do what you got to do. And yeah. so I'm, you know, foolish me. I'm just over there doing my job. So um, I had um, somebody take me into like an annual review and I've never had a bad annual review before. And they were like, it wasn't that good. I was like, can you explain to me why? Right. And they really couldn't explain to me why. And I felt some type of way, but I just sat back with it. This was like last year, maybe sure. at the beginning beginning of the year. And I then, you know, talked to one of my colleagues who we were in the same, you know, group, but we we handled different offices. And and she got the same thing. I said, oh, hell no. Like they 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 trying to get us. I'm like, OK. So I went to HR, which people don't you know, they don't they don't empower themselves. I made a 10 page document of all the times <laughs> my manager was not managing me. And the manager actually didn't even bother me. I, I kind of got that she was just trying to save her job. But her boss, the director, when I went to the director and I was like, hey, can you just move me to a different team? They're like, I, I don't mind working in their team. They were like, no. And I was just like. But I'm showing you, you know, how she's not managing me. And it was because they were putting way too much work on her. And she Mm -hmm. was just trying to save her own job. And she was like, well, she's not managing you. You need to tell her how to manage you. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm not being paid for that. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. I had already had appointments set up with HR and she didn't know that. And she was like, yeah, feel like, feel free. You can talk to me anytime. And of course, if you need to go to HR, I was like, yeah, I'm going to HR next. And she was like, <laughs> I delivered my 10 page document. And for the first time, you know, I realized like this wasn't going to be a healthy working environment, you know, because once you do something like that, it's going to be awkward from it now changes. On. It changes the dynamics and they're, they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs if they feel like that's not the case. And so I was like, wow, I actually had the freedom of my channel to bring in enough. I was bringing in more income than I was making. So I finally, yep, I finally had the freedom to say I'm about to go. But I'm glad that I said something because it changed it for my colleague because they weren't going to do the same thing that they were trying to do to both of us because now they got eyes on them. So it kind of pushed me out there. I was so scared and so afraid. It, It was like... You know, you just feel like, well, is it that safe? Is it that secure? But for me, I've been very consistent. I'm, you know, I grow very steady, but that's okay because steady is steady. You know, I can pretty much calculate the income that I'm going to make. And then it it frees up a lot of your mental space to to do the creative endeavors you want, like being able to expand on my Reiki trainings, being able to offer a membership site and offer like continued community, being able to live life. I mean, I have a lot of hobbies that (laughs) I just feel like a part of life is enjoying that life. And I can't be over here talking to people about having balance if if I'm not putting that at the forefront of my life. So it's very it's very scary for for me when it came to like health insurance. I was like, oh man, you know, like that's really scary to me. And I paid out of pocket for a very long time, like paid Cobra, which is is not cheap at all. But uh-huh. I did what I needed to do to to make myself feel comfortable as I went on this entrepreneurial journey. 
But you learn a lot about how people make money. You start realizing that there's a lot of skills you have that you don't need a middle middleman for. Mm -hmm. This entire like exchange was, would, would be really good for people who are trying to start a YouTube channel or looking for ways. And it honestly helped me as well. Like my wife, she keeps on telling me to get on TikTok and I'm like, nah, I don't really want to. But maybe if that will drive uh, traffic to you know the podcast, that'll be great. So um, you mentioned it in your previous response. Uh, you offer an apprenticeship for aspiring energy healers. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so it's a Reiki master teacher cohort. So what it is, is that it's a training program and I'm changing it up this year. I'm, I'm actually going to make it such a consistent program that it's going to be over a 12 month period versus uh, prior. I would just do it by the levels of Reiki. So it's kind of like your attunement is um, kind of like your initiation into that next level. And you're expected to do these things up until that point, And then afterwards do this stuff and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but I decided to do an apprenticeship because I, I realized that when you start to want to teach or start to want to learn how to do things, a lot of times people will lose their own individual practice. And at the core and foundation of what's happening has to be your self-healing, has to be you showing up every day and working on yourself first. And some people want to be full-time um, energy healing practitioners. And I teach the foundations of Reiki. But if I was just teaching the foundations of Reiki, we would be done very quickly. So I look at it as even though you will have this foundation in Reiki, I teach you how to be a well-rounded energy healing practitioner. So we talk about tools, like I was talking about before the, you know, numerology, astrology, because I'm, that's probably like my, one of my deepest modalities is astrology. So being able to understand that using tarot using other you know how do you explore other modalities because i tell them all the time my expectation is for you to continue to be a student and so you, there's going to be a certain point where you need other teachers you need other people you need to learn other things and you're going to teach me some things mm -hmm. so how can i show you how to be a good student so that when you're on this path you'll continue to to grow and learn so people who want to do it are people who are like deeply connected to their you know own healing journey that's how i started my reiki course i i didn't want to be an energy healer i just wanted to kind of work on my own stuff and it kind of grew into that afterwards and there are some people who are like hey i want to do this full time they might be um those who are like intuitives or clairvoyant or mediumship and they just don't know how to um they, they aren't trained, so they don't know how to, to, to harness that or manage that kind of stuff. So it might be very overwhelming to them. They might, you know, they just, they haven't heard, they haven't learned like esoteric training tools to be able to harness some of those things. So that's what the apprenticeship is. Right now, I actually have um, a pre-week that's happening to kind of give people an experience to see what the apprenticeship would be like. Um, so that's something that's all over my YouTube, but I only do the apprenticeship once a year because I'd be so invested in these people that I'm like, I just, my, <laughs> my energy, my heart can't take it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's the mark of a good instructor or guide for you to say, I can teach you this, but there's going to come a point in time where you are going to leave me. So you're telling them off the rip, like, I'm not really trying to take your money forever. Like, I'm going to teach you what I know and allow you to unlock your potential. And then I'm going to send you on your way because I can't be that for you or for anybody every single time. So I think that that is, um, I think that that's amazing. I have to kick so many people out the nest. 
<laughs> and, and I try to, I try to, because I know in my journey, even when I was a client in other modalities, that mm-hmm. a lot of people they were limited because they stayed under their teacher and they didn't want to to grow outside of that. I'm like, get out here and expand. You know, right. go, 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 go. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, gotta, gotta leave the nest sometime. Um, last question: What's coming up next for you? Ah. Uh, the apprenticeship. So that's actually what I close my book. So typically I would take on um, Reiki clients and I would take on um, astrology tarot clients. Um, but I close my books and I'm going to just be focusing on teaching. And for me, it's just how can I create the best experience for people? Um, every year I try to redo my Reiki trainings to to kind of reflect on what the cohort had the year before and, you know, help them. Because to me, it's not just about learning energy healing. It's about how do you want to transform your life? That it's I, I say it like that. Like, don't just let the, the goal be just energy healing. How do you want your life to look different? What kind of quality of life do you want to have? Because when you learn how to harness energy, you learn how to create the reality that you need in life. That also takes work and it takes time. You know, it's not a just quick fix overnight. It can take years to build what you need, but it creates a cohort in an environment in which people are supported in the type of way where no one is telling, you, no, you can't do it, you know? And mm-hmm. a lot of times people can solve their own problems. They just need an environment that is just like, sure, you can do it. Yeah, you, you know what? I can do it. So that's what I'm going to be um, doing and also challenging myself to work smarter, not harder. You know, <laughs> I um I can sometimes feel like, oh, should I should I be live all the time? And should I be posting all these videos all the time and, and this, this and that? And I, and I kind of realized for myself that being a person of color, being a black person, like, you know, generational wealth is really important to us because we have to accomplish in one generation what was barred from us from the U.S. perspective, what we could have been building for many generations that we've seen, you know, kind of just have to start over, have to start over. So I start to think like, okay, well, I can't always have the mentality of an employee and it always can't be a me show. So, you know, at the end of the day, my long-term goal for Reiki Healing Hope is that I'm not the only one who's going to be on there, that there's going to be different expressions of understanding the esoteric and the divine and things like that, as well as being able to take, as I make more money, taking that money and, and putting it into actual, you know, wealth building things. Gotcha, so I can gotcha. enjoy life. That's, that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day, you know. Um, well, that is all the questions for me. Thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, talk with you. I had a, a really fantastic time. I hope you had a good time as well. Yeah, I definitely had a great time. Uh, much needed and happy to be local because I don't I don't um, often get uh, people reach out to me who's actually local. That was Jessica Lachey, founder of Reiki Healing Hope. Search Reiki Healing Hope on YouTube and subscribe to her channel. Reiki Healing Hope is also her IG handle. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by Your Public Studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at WYPR.org.